0: The reading this morning is taken from Daniel 2, 44 through 47. Daniel 2, 44 through 47. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall, be not, that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever forever just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel, and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery.
1: Dim these two lights down just a little. They always do. Maybe they're going to get to it, but that'd be good. I've got a couple uh slides that uh, I hope will uh, function properly today and, and uh, help teach you uh, part of the lesson that I want to give you this morning. And uh, I want you to see those uh, visual learning part of the lesson today. Beautiful outside and it's beautiful inside here with all of you here. I appreciate um, the heartfelt uh, prayers, songs, and, and discussion at the Lord's table from all of you. And I uh, Donovan, I feel with you when you prayed and said, Lord, I'm just not eloquent with words, but thank you. Amen to that. That's how I got up here. Otherwise, you'd have somebody else standing up here. Just uh, thankful to be able to uh, to uh, learn God's word and convey it to you and that you would work with me. And together we can all build each other up in the most holy faith to go home. We talked about, uh, Donovan talked about just... Just going to heaven, just getting to heaven, and uh, that's, that's what we're trying to do here. Whenever you, you need to, to refocus, ask yourself the question, why, what is all this? To go to heaven, to go home. That's the ultimate aim. And so everything we do fits under that umbrella, and building faith gives us assurance, it gives us security in the spirit that we are going to reach our destination. So it's a good place to be this morning. There's no better place. I have a few friends that are out deer hunting, and it would definitely be a beautiful morning to be out in a tree and enjoying the sunrise, but this is a better place to be. It just is, and uh, no regrets there. Now, we are in our readings about uh, Daniel, or excuse me, and about... yeah, the end of Jeremiah, uh, the reading section was like 36 through 38, 35 through 38, and then we looked at Lamentations uh, chapter 5 coming into this week, um, and Second uh, Chronicles 36 was part of it. It was a whole smattering, but we got into Daniel 1 and 2 for this coming week's readings. And that's what I want to hone in on this morning, is starting to talk about the book of Daniel. Uh, we're covering some more things from Jeremiah in class on Sunday mornings. I'd encourage you to come um, and and participate in learning. This is a, a pivotal point in history for the world. Really, a lot of a lot of uh, decisive things happening in the world during this time. There's some decisive things happening for God's people at this time. And so, what it's doing is it's it's this fire. That is, that is being lit by God underneath the pants of some people in the world, some world leaders and kings, and God's own people, it's, it's causing them to choose sides, to choose sides. Just like Joshua said back in his day when he said, Choose you this day whom you will serve. These people are having to choose sides. And uh, you've got some making good choices to go with God and some making some not so good choices. Daniel, you'll see, is one godly man, does some great things in his life. Now, if you Google Daniel, just just Daniel, you know, some things will come up. One of the first things that comes up is this Daniel plan of uh, fast. It comes out of Daniel chapter 1, where for 10 days he proposes that he and his friends eat only vegetables, don't eat the king's dainties, the word is, his, his meat and his, uh, his just desserts and uh, all these things to try to really kind of uh, get people used to royalty and, and, and fatten them up maybe a little bit. And Daniel said, we're going to eat vegetables for 10 days. And so if you ask people on the street today, what do you know about the book of Daniel? You might get something about lions in there but you're probably going to get this Daniel fast. Now, what's interesting is there's, uh, uh, there's all kinds of, of books and things coming out. Here's one by Philip Bridgman. It says, Daniel's diet where he ate only vegetables and on the front cover, there's a bowl of fruit. Um, Daniel dinner plate here. Uh, nice image from the danielplan.com. What's that, Salmon. And some chicken, yeah. We got to throw a little salmon and chicken in. We're Americans, right? So we got to eat, eat a little bit. And here's some nice grains and all that. This is Daniel's plate. Not quite. Uh, how about this one? The Daniel fast by like Kristen Fiola. What? Daniel was eating pizza with his three friends this whole time. We didn't even, we didn't even know it. That's the college Daniel fast, evidently. I like that. And then here's the time-tested and proven effective because it's from the Bible, Daniel diet, health and healing secrets from the ancient diet over 2,610 years ago, 10-day diet plan to superior health and fitness, clearer and acne-free skin. That's right, Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego didn't have a pimple as they stood before Nebuchadnezzar, and they lost weight and built up their immune system and all these things. Now, this one's interesting. Have you seen Ezekiel 4.9 bread in the store? It's a big hit. Ezekiel 4.9. You go to your local, maybe your larger stores, and they'll have it in there. And it's all this stuff found in Ezekiel 4.9. The funny thing is, they stopped at Ezekiel 4.9 because the prophecy went, you shall eat this bread... All right, and you shall bake it over a coal of human waste, but they left out the human waste part, and I will too, we'll move on, and, and it doesn't mark it doesn't market well, you know, if you say, here's this delicious, healthy bread that's baked over human waste in a hot brick oven, and so we move on. But if this is all we get out of, um, out of these books, why, well, I think we'll have botched them like a Michigan punter. And... Um, and we may not, we may not uh, get the bigger picture of, uh, of the uh, coming of the Messiah. And the message that is being continued on from Genesis chapter 12, where God said to Abraham, you're going to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. So here's a pivotal part of the Bible. Right here we have Daniel is going to reveal a major prophecy that has to do with all the families of the earth and, as Paul said in Romans 2, to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And we're going to take a look at this uh, dream in Daniel chapter 2, but isn't it funny how some of the uh, social ethics of the Bible and the prophecies of the Bible are just ridiculous, absurd because they're so antiquated, but yet if there's a diet plan in there, it must work because it's the wisdom of the ancients. And it's a biblical mystery, biblical recipe here. And it sells like, well, like Ezekiel 4, 9 bread. You be the judge. Turn to Daniel chapter 2, and upon reading this, you determine if you think that this prophecy is outdated and antiquated, and has nothing to do with us, just not relevant to my life or our times, you be the judge. We are going back in time here when we open up to the Old Testament and to the book of Daniel. Now, we're going to read together the chapter, chapter 2. I think it's important. It's the the basis of the sermon. It's going to take up a, a major part of the time of the sermon, I'm aware. And so, I want to involve you in this, and I want you to see some things in your own books that you can draw upon later, maybe in your personal study. It's dated as well. We have the uh, the dating of it here in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar, which is going to be about 604-ish B.C., second year of this king. Because in the first year, he uh, besieges Jerusalem and carries away the first wave of captives. So here we go. Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. Now, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, properly pronounced, it's probably Nebuchadnezzar. But I was raised like most of you saying Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, all right. We're just going to go with Nebuchadnezzar. Because if I try it the other way, it's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. Second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, he had dreams. And his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I have had a dream and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we'll give the interpretation. (laughs) The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. Oh, this is a great uh, commentary on his character at this point, do you think? Pretty sharp guy, but if you don't do what I say, I'm going to cut you in pieces and burn your house down. That's the kind of guy we're looking at here until the Lord gets a hold of him. They answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we'll give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you, for you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king the matter. Therefore no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. It's a difficult thing that the king requests and there's no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Well, they got something going here. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out and they began killing the wise men and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. See, he didn't know what had happened yet. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and he said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives, knowledge, he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what's in the darkness and light dwells with Him. I thank You and praise You, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we have asked of You. For You have made known to us the king's demand." Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I'll tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I've found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king... Thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes, who make known the interpretation of the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image This great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you, and its form was awesome. The image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, which struck the image on the feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces." Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer uh, threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. Can you picture Nebuchadnezzar's face at this point? About the time he said there was a great image, I think his jaw probably hit the floor, don't you? He's asking himself, did I tell anybody what I dreamt? Is this cheating somehow? He knew he hadn't. So Daniel goes on in verse 37 now to tell him what it means. You, O king, are a king of kings, for the God of heaven has given you a kingdom. Power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, He has given them into your hand, and has made you ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. That's what you call a world empire right there. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron. Inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. Yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay." And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. And you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay. They will mingle with the seeds of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, of this fourth kingdom, and in the days of these kings, as our scripture reading this morning was given. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you would reveal this secret. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And so, we have some things here that we want to look into. First of all, that God has not left Himself without witness in history. Just as powerful as the miracles of Jesus Christ were in changing the face of the world, sometimes in some places slowly, but surely, changing the face of the world over to Him. So this prophecy worked in its day to change the nature of kings, kingdoms, and the world of men. God did not leave himself without witness here. He began solidifying the case for Christ long before Christ came, John the Baptist preached, or long before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote their accounts for us to read, he began laying this foundation. He gave these unusual dreams, notice, not to Daniel to go tell to the king. He gave them to the king, let him wrestle with it, lose sleep over it. And then, like a parable where people had to walk away and think and think and think, and they got it sometimes, this king was presented then with the answer, with the secret, the solution, the interpretation of the dream And by then, he was ready to accept the meaning of it. At first, he handled things in his usual manner. He called the wise men, who would be the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and soothsayers. People who, and I'll say this boldly in our day and age, people who are looking to other powers for their guidance that does not come from Scripture. Astrology, all these things, newspaper still puts them out, are other sources than God's concerning the present times, concerning the future. These are things God puts to shame. Let's be sure we're not caught up in those things. But here He calls uh, all of these people in and says, Look, I know you're a bunch of liars and you basically tell me what I want to hear, but you're going to tell me the dream first. And then the interpretation, because I want the truth. This is really a vivid dream, and I need to know what it means, and I don't want to hear any of your lies. So if you don't tell me the dream and the interpretation, I'm going to do away with you. Okay. So they slyly replied, well, oh king, um, no man can do this. As if to say, you do realize you're being unreasonable? You're being unreasonable here? Only the gods can do this. So everybody's right where God wants them to be when Daniel steps into the picture. Nebuchadnezzar is demanding truth. The astrologers and sorcerers and magicians are exposed and on trial. And they're going to find out the truth too. And Daniel is the man, actually, who can do this, but what does he say when he approaches the king? He says, I'll have you know, I'm no wiser than anybody else. Let's just get that straight. And Nebuchadnezzar's probably saying, all right, come on, get on with it, right? I'm no wiser than any man on earth. It is the God of heaven who's about to tell you this. So he props him up, To understand that when he hears the dream and then the interpretation, that it's a direct result of the God of heaven's revealing of the future to the king of the known world at the time. Now, how does that bode when Daniel says this is the dream and it's certain, interpretation sure? He falls on his knees, this mighty king of the Babylonian Empire. The world ruler falls on his knees, tries to worship Daniel. (laughs) You know, he's just not used to this kind of stuff. You and I might do the same thing at first. Oh, who are you? You know, I I I told you. It's not me. I told you who did this. So they got that all straightened out. But here we have this great image explained. Now let's talk about what this means. I realize that some of this print you probably won't be able to read. Understand that? This is the best visual I could find. Most of them are premillennial. Um, they take this chapter and they make it apply to the second coming, the second coming. It's I could I could barely find what we believe to be the proper interpretation, and that is Christ in his kingdom comes in the first century AD, not after the end of the world, and then he sets his kingdom up. It's a real popular thing among uh Christendom among the denominational world to, to, to see that. So they have to go in here and make this prophecy mean something that hasn't happened yet. But whoa, what a mistake. What a mistake and what a tragedy. Because this thing has to do with us and with this body right here, right now in 2015. It's beautiful, the meaning of it to us. And, and so many miss it. So let's try to understand it. You may find yourself in a conversation with someone about these things sometime, and this is a good place to come and explain it. So, you, O Nebuchadnezzar, are this head of gold. All right, so you're in charge of the known world. Every bird and fish, every man is underneath your power. You're the first of this image that's described as the head of gold. Right now, you're in power. But then after this, there'll come another another. Uh, Power, another kingdom, he says, it'll be inferior to yours. It it won't have the maybe the military might, it may not have the fingers which reach into and can control all the known world at the time. But there will be a kingdom coming after Babylon. Wow, how revealing is that. I mean, I want you to think with me for a second if, if someone came and said, Now after America falls, there will be another kingdom that comes in and takes its place. Okay. The problem is Nebuchadnezzar had a dream he didn't tell anybody about, and this guy's telling him the dream, now he's telling him what it means. So he's got to swallow this. He's got he's to keep listening. Okay, so there'll be another one. Now we know from the Bible and history, both, that there's harmony here, that the next empire is the Medo-Persian Empire. From Media and Persia, the Medes and the Persians. We know that because the Bible speaks of it all through Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and even specifically names at the end of Daniel chapter 5, if you wanted to look, uh, how the Medes came in and captured Babylon and took over the uh, power, the, the capital city and the empire. It's right in Daniel. So you can go down to the library and look. And it's quicker for you to open up Daniel chapter 5, find out how that happens. However, this next empire, which is the empire described as the belly and thighs of bronze refers to the Greek Empire, which is also mentioned in the Scriptures, I might add, but just not with as much detail because it's some years down the road. Um, and then the fourth kingdom, that's with Alexander the Great, by the way. And with Alexander's death here, the fourth kingdom becomes the Roman Empire, which is ushered in about 163 AD. And as you probably are aware, is the empire, the world empire empire. In control, kinda, during the time that Jesus Christ is born into the world. So the fourth empire is Rome. Now what about these this, this feet that's got part of the iron of the legs in it? Got part of the iron and legs in it, but there's clay mixed in, and we know that clay and iron doesn't mix it together any better and stick and adhere to one another than, than oil and water. You know, clay and iron, about the same thing. And it might look strong, you might even kiln dry it, but you could bust it with a hammer and it would fall apart, clay would come out of it, right? Well, here at a time when kings are vying for power in this fourth empire, at a time when there's uprisings and coups, etc. all over the world during this time of the Roman Empire, which we know more and more about as history uh, becomes more recent, Palestine is a perfect example, a perfect example of how Rome has some iron right in Palestine during the time of Christ. Is that not right? You know, uh, we have accounts of, of uh, the Caesars, of Pilate and Herod who were under uh, Roman uh, uh They're in Roman authority and rulership. You have um, the centurion at the cross. You see the Romans involved all through the gospel accounts. But you also have to remember there's an intertestamental period between Malachi and Matthew where there's been upheavals and uprisings in the Maccabean era there of the Jews. And we don't have that in the Scriptures. But you know what we have? We have a prediction that the Roman Empire is going to have parts that are like clay that just don't adhere to the iron of the empire very well. It's during the days of these kings, when the empire softened a little, when they're struggling to keep power, even Pilate was struggling, struggling to keep down um, uh, 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 uprisings which is part of the reason he crucified Jesus, because they weren't mixing well with the iron down there, Daniel said, during the days of these kings, the God of heaven is going to step in. He's going to establish a kingdom. It's not going to be like the other kingdoms. In fact, it's going to to be like a stone cut out of the mountain without hands. Now picture this, if you will. We've perhaps seen people chiseling wood or stone, even in our day and age, not so much for building structures anymore, right? But uh, we've seen them hand crafting and hand making things out of stone. I know at my own house I have some sandstone blocks from the quarry there at Chestnut Ridge. And they're hewn, and you can see how they hewn those stones out by hand to make them a block. And uh, in my neighbor's house there's beams that are hewn out uh, by hand. We see, maybe you've seen people actually doing this kind of thing. Well, here, Nebuchadnezzar sees a rock hewn out of a mountain, but there's nobody doing it. It's, it's, It's hewn out by someone other than man, and then it's used to come like a meteor strike. It's used to come and smash the power of the kingdoms of men, embed itself like a meteor. That's what made me think of. It's like God came down with a meteor strike and he established his foundation for his kingdom and it broke up the other kingdoms and it consumed them with its power. and it became so large, it was as if the rock had life in it. It was as if the rock was living, and it grew and became a mighty mountain in the world. Wow. A living stone. That's interesting, isn't it? And so, we have this kingdom being described as coming down as a great stone foundation and laying a bedrock for all the world to build upon. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. But wherever men are, Jesus implies here, there's a rock that you can build upon. Whoever, whoever believes in Him shall not perish but be saved. Whoever builds his house on the rock that is provided for you shall build his life on something and it will never be destroyed. Isn't that interesting? Whoever means everybody in the world, Jesus. Yeah, that's the rock that Daniel talked about. It's right here in America. It's right here for you to build upon. Jesus Christ is that foundational stone. He tripped up the Jews who were unwilling to believe and accept Him. But to those who, like me, maybe are a little more simple-minded and who just have to step back and try to soak all this in, it sure makes a lot of sense that this prophecy is talking specifically about the church about the church's king, and how men would enter into this kingdom, as even foretold us, for example, just like in Daniel, a stone grew and filled the whole earth and became a, a great mountain, and God set his kingdom upon it. Jesus said. Who do men say that I am? Disciples answered, some said, Elijah, John the Baptist, one of the prophets. But who do you say that I am? Peter spoke up. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed these things to you, but my Father in heaven. From Daniel chapter 2. But my Father in heaven has revealed this to you, And he said, I also say to you that you are Peter. Different word. Meaning a small stone or pebble. Different word. On this rock, bedrock, foundational stone in the Greek, not a pebble like Peter, Petra. On this rock. This rock, that is that you said it, that I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church, that's you and me, and Hades will not prevail against it. It's going to be a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. And I'll give you the keys to it. I'll give you the keys to it. Wow, really? How are you going to do that? Well, you're actually holding them. And I'm going to give you a little bit of help, he goes on to say, especially through the book of John in chapters 13 through 16. The Holy Spirit is going to come, he's going to... Guide you into all truth. He's going to remind you what I told you too. And so when we come to Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, after Jesus has died and been buried and has risen from the dead, the Holy Spirit comes to these apostles and they begin to preach to each one who is in town from all of these various countries that speak different languages. And when they tell them about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, it's like inserting the key and turning and unlocking a door that's been closed until this point, swinging it open and saying, God said you can come in. But you need to repent. You need to be baptized if you so have a heart that you believe. You need to undergo, Paul said, your own death, burial, and resurrection, Romans chapter 6. So that you can enter into the door who is Christ, and in through the door, and through which door no one can enter heaven without entering into this door. So, all of these things come together. Can you see how the New Testament is built upon this prophecy of Daniel chapter 2? I mean, this is a foundational stone in your Bible, it's an important, important chapter. It's so, so powerful. I like at the end of the Bible also, I might add, in Revelation chapter 1 or 20, verse 6, for example, that John wrote, That blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. What's a second death? Well, the first death is our death through sin when we are separated from our Creator and our God by sin. We're separated and we would die, that is perish, John 3.16, unless we're reunited, redeemed, reconciled together with Him. And He said, if you take part in the first resurrection from the dead, from your deadness to sin, in sin, excuse me, If you are dead in sin and you are raised up from the dead to a newness of life, the second death will have no power over you. Do I need to interpret that a little more? Peter on Pentecost. What shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you die to your sin, be buried with Christ and raised with Him in a resurrection and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you'll be empowered to overcome the second death. (laughs) And so here we have from Genesis, church to Revelation, everywhere in between, but especially in Daniel, especially in the coming of Christ, a presentation to you and I as the church to remain faithful, number one. Put your hope, set your hope on this. But number two, if you are here and you're not a Christian, this is an ancient call as modern as today, still standing, that God has done this work so that you can build your life on a solid foundation of His words through Jesus Christ and through the death of Jesus Christ, which will empower you to overcome your second death and live forever with Him in an eternal kingdom. (laughs) <laughs> that's why I say, I'm sorry for the people who miss this interpretation that's so evident in the Scriptures. But for those of us who have seen and understand and, and, and enjoy it, blessed and holy are you, for you overcome the second death. I think you know what to do if you're not a Christian. You probably know what to do if you're a Christian. So Cody's going to come and sing a song that he's selected. The words will invite you to become a Christian And today is the day, the best day of your life to become a Christian. Let's stand and sing.